Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing the places you have come to fear the most. The second episode of season one, which was written by Mark Schwann, directed by Brian Gordon, and originally aired on September 30th, 2003. Always and Forever is spoiler-free, but if you're a Tree Hill veteran like us, or if you're not spoiler-sensitive, stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion where we go wild and talk about everything we're holding back. Somebody told me that this is a place where everything's better and everything's safe. In Lucas's first basketball game as a Tree Hill Raven, he struggles to prove himself to his coach and teammates. After a disappointing first game, Lucas grapples with whether to stay on the team. Is it worth it? Especially when no one seems to accept him and his mom, who, in fear of her past with Zan, wouldn't even attend his first game. Meanwhile, Nathan feels constant pressure from his dad to remain the star of the team and outshine Lucas. The tension between the young Scott brothers finally heats up, resulting in a fistfight during class. While Lucas still contemplates staying on the team, he talks to Peyton and realizes she's also struggling with confidence in her artwork. One day, when Lucas sees Peyton throw out her artwork, he secretly takes it and submits it to Thud Magazine for publication. After realizing he choked during the game due to his fears of becoming Dan, Lucas receives inspiration from Peyton's compelling art and has renewed confidence to stay on the team. In this episode, we also meet another major character, the infamous and fabulous Brooke Davis, Peyton's best friend and cheerleader for the Tree Hill Ravens. I don't want to be anything other than me, Caitlin Illinich. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't realize we were going to we were gonna <laughs> sing this intro, Caitlin. Um, I, I feel a little bit of pressure right now. Should I sing or should I do the original thing I was going to do where I was just going to be like really dramatic in my reading? <laughs> you do you. Okay. Maybe we should like you to try to differentiate our brands here, yes. I guess. Even though normal, I don't know. With our brands, I feel like I would be the one who would sing normally. You really would. <laughs> But you know what? I'm just going to do my overdramatic reading for my intro. Okay. <clears throat> and tired of looking around rooms, wondering what I got to do, or who I'm supposed to be. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the theme song of this show is the best. Yes. So uh, this is the first episode where we officially hear it. Very, very exciting. Yes, it is so good. So according to an interview on the One Tree Hill Season 1 DVD set, apparently Gavin DeGraw's first album only sold 50,000 units wow. at first. But then this show made him blow up. And rightfully so, I think. I can imagine. It's an anthem. That's really what it is to me. I hear this song and I just feel happy instantly. It just makes me feel good about myself. Definitely. It's all about... Being who you are, no matter what. And just seeing, like, the um the cast members' faces, like, go across mm -hmm. for each one. I'm just like, like, I've always wanted, like, a theme song of my life, and I want it to be just like One Tree Hill. <laughs> where, instead of Chad Michael Murray, it'll be replaced, Jeremy Rodriguez. Instead of James Lafferty, it'll also say, Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> we should create one for our podcast. Caitlin Ellenich. Ooh, can we? Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can put your name in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> you can be included as well. Hey, you're the cast of the podcast. So we both Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. That's a good talk. That's a good um, project for later down the line. I like this. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of music, another fun fact that we neglected to mention in the previous episode, One Tree Hill, the show, is also named after a song. It is named after a U2 song of the same name. And another fun fact, every episode title of this series, with the exception of the pilot, is named after a song, with this episode being named after the Dashboard Confessional song, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. I absolutely love how One Tree Hill does that. It's so unique. Like, has any other show done that before? I feel like there is, there's another show that I know. No, you know, 
Veronica Mars kind of does it, but it doesn't just do song titles, it does movie titles and a bunch of other different oh, things as okay. well. But I'm sure there's other shows who have done something similar to that. No, it's just One Tree um, Hill, because we're special. Yeah, so just One Tree Hill. <laughs> <laughs> but something Caitlin and I are going to be doing, and with the episodes moving forward, is we are going to listen to each of these songs that the episodes are named after, and we are going to try to dissect them and see if there's any meaning behind them. Maybe not all of them do have a deeper meaning. We have no idea. This is an experiment. So we're going to test it out. But for this episode, I think the song actually did have a connection to the overall themes of this episode. What did you think? I totally agree. I really like the song, actually. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, it has... It was really good, yeah. It's a really good song, just on its own. But I think the lyrics really connect to the theme of fear in this episode. Lucas is fearful of not being successful on the basketball team and failing, ultimately. Peyton is scared to submit her art. There's so many different connections that you could draw from this episode. And I think this song does a good job of showing the concept of fearing fear and kind of being scared of the unknown in a way. And I think it also shows just like hiding your true self, almost like hiding behind a mask, like that first stanza, very deep, as you can dig inside yourself and covered with a perfect shell. Such a charming, beautiful exterior laced with brilliant smiles and shining eyes, perfect posture, but you're barely scraping by, but you're barely scraping by. Basically, that stanza shows, you know, kind of concealing your true self. Yeah, definitely. And another fun fact that I learned from one of the interviews in the One Tree Hill Season 1 DVD sets. um, Look at you doing your research. I am. I'm doing a good job here. <laughs> but anyway, um, one of the people, I'm trying hard not to say his name, but the creator of the show, because I don't want to give him like any more credit than he deserves. <laughs> Let's be honest here. But anyway, I'm just going to say it. The creator of the show said that basically the song is about what happens when your safe space becomes the place you have come to fear the most, where specifically Lucas and basketball. You know, he was having so much fun playing, and then all of a sudden, it's a place that he fears because of Dan, because of Nathan, because of this whole, like, really crappy dynamic that he has. So, yeah, it's about all that stuff going on. Yeah, that's a really good point, because it is it was his safe space on the river court, and then now all of these other things are kind of attached to basketball that weren't previously attached to it. Yeah, and I think we could even argue it with um, Nathan, too. I feel like Nathan deep down loves basketball as well, but... His dad's putting so much pressure on him that it's not his safe space anymore. Yeah, Dan's kind of ruined it for him. Yeah, I think even Peyton with her artwork, too, it can be... I feel like it can be applied to any character and their journey on this episode. Yep, Karen and fearing yeah. going back to high school, the high school gym. Oh, totally. I think the song really connects. I like it. But speaking about the music in general of this show, I know we're going to be talking a lot about the music in this episode. <laughs> But something I feel like we should note is that the music supervisors for One Tree Hill are both women, and they have a rotating pool of different music supervisors, but for the most part, most of them are women, and I feel like we definitely need to amplify them a little bit. Um, In particular, the music supervisors for season one are Madonna Wade Reed and Jennifer Pikin. Madonna Wade Reed, um, since One Tree Hill, she has most recently gone to work on Batwoman, All-American, Rain, and she's basically just the queen of CW. And then there is Jennifer Pikin, who most recently has worked on This Is Us, Workaholics, and Game Over. So cool. Yeah, so I just want to, you know, give them a shout out because any One Tree Hill fan knows that music is just as important a part of the show as anything else. So I just really want to give a full applause to the music supervisors on this show. Nice job, ladies. Yes. Those are some badass ladies. But another badass lady. Yes. <laughs> who makes her appearance in this episode. Brooke Davis. Woo! I love her so much. I know we're supposed to be spoiler free and I'm going to hold back until we get to the spoiler discussion at the end. But Brooke Davis is the greatest character on One Tree Hill, possibly of all time. That is all. She's one of the best characters ever. And also, did you know that Bethany Joy Lenz initially auditioned for Brooke? I don't, I might have known that, but I, tell me more. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, um, apparently Bethany Joy Lenz was, adi- was initially asked to audition for Brooke, 
And she said she didn't really want to be Brooks. She wanted to audition for Haley. So when she read for Brooke, she read it with the same energy as she did for Haley. It's so funny, too, because during the interview, she says, um, she says something like, and that probably wasn't a good decision for me as an actress, but whatever, I, I got the part. <laughs> And I just really want to see this audition tape. I want to know, like, how she did it. I've just, I know, I've been right? fascinated by that for years. So I cannot imagine any other actress being Haley or Brooke. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they were trying to um, get off of her film in the movie Britain On Again. Oh, I forgot. I forgot she was in that. <laughs> Yeah, and Bring It On Again, she plays the sequel to Bring It On. It's it's a pretty bad movie. Please do not watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Was this right before One Tree Hill started? It came, so it came out, like, ugh, when did it come out? I'm going to Google this real quickly, because I feel like that's important. Okay, it actually came out in 2004, but who knows, though? They could have been filming it. Maybe Mark Schwann saw her, like perform on that show and said like oh she'd be really good or maybe her agent said like you got this part as a mean girl you could be a mean girl again not that brooks mean but i feel like she's kind of filling that role in a way i don't know if you agree yeah she is so you know that'll get explained more as our as the up as the season goes on but yeah so i think that might have been why she was initially asked to play that role but who cares we have sophia bush and sophia bush is iconic she really is Let's talk a little bit about some of uh, Brooke's storylines. What did you think about her? So I feel like without giving any spoilers away, but Brooke evolves over time. And I feel like season one Brooke is so much different than the Brooke that you see later on in the series. And this episode gives you kind of little glimpses of who Brooke is right now. So I feel like we didn't get a ton of really good Brooke scenes in this episode, but I feel like she kind of brings... The comic relief in a way, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning when she's checking out Lucas on the basketball court with Peyton. <laughs> oh, and when she says, is that Lucas? Looks great from behind. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Brooke. <laughs> Very true. Agreed. <laughs> High five. <laughs> but she's quickly established as Peyton's best friends, um, as we could see in the scene where the two of them are in Peyton's bedroom. Listen to music, and Brooke says, I love when you and Nathan get into a fight, because every time you do, I get to listen to new music. <laughs> and then she says, Hey, did you get the new Beyonce? And Peyton's like, No. And I'm like, Why are you dissing Beyonce? Do not Peyton? diss Beyonce. Come on. No. And this was like right in Beyonce. I don't even want to say Beyonce was in her prime then. I feel like she's she's in her prime now. She always has been in her prime. I know. Let's be but honest. This was when that's... she started her solo career around that time. Yeah. Her debut solo album came out on June 20th of that year, entitled Dangerously in Love. She also disses Gwen Stefani, because Brooke says, I know you're a Gwen Stefani-type badass or whatever, but Friday come game time, you are one of us. And... That's when Peyton chimes in and says, Gwen Stefani is not a badass. And I'm like, back in 2003, Gwen Stefani totally was a badass. <laughs> she was. I was about to say, like, maybe now she's not. So maybe Peyton was just before her time. <laughs> so true. <laughs> what did you think about their conversation? They're talking about their futures, Peyton and Brooke. I actually wrote down Brooke's quote. She says, I think about the future sometimes and it scares me, but then I think I'll go to college, I'll join the right sorority, I'll marry a rich guy, unless I get fat. Now, what did you think of that line in particular? Because I'll tell you what I initially thought, and then I'll tell you what I thought after I looked into it deeper. I feel like this scene doesn't really, it kind of makes Brooke out to be dumb in a way. Like, I feel like Peyton gives her this look when she says that, like, what the heck are you talking about? That's all you think of your future life? And that it could then be affected if you get fat? Like, none of that could happen just because you get fat? Really? That's how you saw it? I I don't know. I thought that scene didn't really present Brooke in, like, the best light. Huh. You had different thoughts? Yeah, I saw it in a slightly different way. When I first watched it, I thought, like, okay, Brooke is fat shaming because... You know, like, your future's gonna be over if you get fat. Oh, no. But then I thought about it, and I actually think it's a little bit tragic that Brooke thinks that way. The fact that she thinks that just because she gets fat, her future will be over. I feel like the way Peyton looks at her is kind of like, that's sad that you think that. That you have such, like, a narrow view of, yeah, of your life. Yeah, exactly. 
because at the end of the day, like it's not gonna be a, it's not gonna be the end of the world if um if you do get fat. Then I feel like that's something that Brooke needs to hear. And she's never had somebody tell her that. She has such like a she lives in such a bubble. And I think that's kind of sad. And I feel like all these characters live in a bubble and I think Brooke is just exemplifying that with just that one line. That's interesting because I never really looked at that scene in that way before. That's like a much deeper take than mine. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I had your view when I first watched it. Then like after watching this episode several thousand times, I started to think about it a little bit more. And I'm like, it's kind of sad. I feel sad for Brooke. The fact that she believes that. Several thousand times. (laughs) (laughs) Should we be transparent now, Caitlin? <laughs> I guess we should. Uh, this is the second time we recorded this episode. <laughs> because, long story short, our audio fucked up when we were recorded. And we also weren't at our best headspace, I don't think, when we recorded it initially. No, I don't think so. <laughs> we were clearly very distracted. Yeah, we were we were not doing a good job, so we just essentially said that we're going to re-record it. We actually recorded episode three a few days ago, so we're kind of doing this out of order. <laughs> we are. It's tripping me up a little <laughs> but bit. But you know what? It's okay. Luckily, we've seen this series and this episode <laughs> several thousand times. <laughs> maybe not a couple thousand, maybe a couple hundred at this point. <laughs> oh, gosh. But... Someone whose face I am not sick of saying a couple thousand or a couple hundred times. Jake Jagelski! <laughs> He's so cute. Yeah, so Jake appeared in episode one. He was one of the people who did not get suspended from the team, but he doesn't have any speaking lines. So this is the first episode where we actually hear him speak and actually get to see him as a character. And he's sort of set up as just somebody who is just, who isn't willing to take any of Nathan's shit. Because after the fight between Lucas and Nathan, Jake confronts Nathan. He says, oh, he probably whooped your ass. He probably tackled you when you were at the bottom. So it just goes shows that Jake is not one of, he's not like the others in a way. Yeah, and I like that he almost mentors Lucas in this episode. Yes. So Jake gives Lucas a copy of Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rands, which is like his way of extending a... Extends in a helping hand to Lucas, because Lucas needs a lot of mentoring. So at the start of the episode, Lucas, he chokes during the basketball game. That really sets up the rest of the episode, because he is kind of trying to figure out what he wants on the basketball team. He doesn't know if he wants to play the game seriously, or just for fun on the river court. One of the characters who comes to Lucas is Whitey. He encourages him to figure out what he's afraid of. And then later on, Karen's essentially like a little bit of a shoulder to cry on. And um, Lucas realizes that he's afraid he'll essentially become Dan if he continues playing on the court. So it's really Dan who's triggering him. And then Lucas gets inspired through Peyton's art when he sees the one picture with it's just a big crowd of people. There's one blonde person in that crowd. I think that person is supposed to represent Lucas. And the person's wearing pink. And on the top of the picture, it says, they are not you. Yeah, I think it's supposed to represent Lucas. Yeah, definitely. Which I also like to think that that's a little bit of a love letter that Peyton writes to Lucas as well. I just think that was very inspirational for Lucas. That's what makes him realize is, you know what? Like, not only they are not, they are not me, I am not them either. I think it can just go both ways with that message. And while Karen in this episode kind of helps Lucas figure out what he wants... She's also, at the same time, struggling. Because at the very beginning of the episode, she decides not to go to Lucas's first basketball game. And that ends up being the wrong decision, because Lucas is really hurt by that. But at the same time, like I said, Karen is struggling, and she even says to Keith at one point that, I can't go back there. The place knows too much. So she's fearful. This theme of fear comes back. And she is fearful of going back to her high school gym and facing all of those memories. It's overwhelming to her. Oh, and And, rightfully so. And to see Dan there as well, on top of it, it's a lot. I really liked Lucas and Karen's um, conflict in this episode, because it shows that the two of them are not perfect either. Because I feel like too often, specifically on 
teen shows. The parent has all the wisdom in the world. And I feel like this show, it allows the parent characters to be flawed. Great point. That is so true. Yes, Karen does dispel some wisdom to Lucas, and Lucas ends up learning from it. But at the same time, she's not perfect. You know, she still has her own past to grapple with, or her own memories that she's being triggered by. And she has to deal with that to move forward into the future. Towards the end of the episode, she says to Lucas, It's hard to fight the things we're afraid of. Sometimes we just need a little help. And that applies to both her and Lucas. They both needed, like, a nudge in the right direction from different people. Aw, so heartwarming. And one thing I want to say that's not really related to this, but kind of is. Just for my love of Lucas and Karen, I love that scene when they're sitting on the porch in the morning. Yeah. And they're just having their heart to heart. I thought that was a really, really good moment of the show. I know about the part where they do the jakes and then then Lucas punches her and she's like, hi. And then she punches him back. That was really cute. It is really cute. And one little note that I wanted to make about that is Lucas's house in this episode is completely different from the house that's used in the pilot. (gasps) What? You didn't know that? I did know that because the last time we recorded, I was trying to recreate my impression of the last time. (laughs) Yeah, so only... It didn't work. I feel like only diehard One Tree Hill fans would know that because you really have to pay attention. And honestly, the house is only used in the pilot and then the house in episode two is the one that's used for the rest of the series. But that's just a little side tangent of mine. That is very interesting now. I always notice that Lucas's bedroom is different. Yeah, it does kind of change over time. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't change over time? Really? I feel like through the, the season, maybe. I don't oh, know. okay. Yeah, I definitely noticed in the first episode it's different, because I don't know, for some reason I just remember Lucas's bedroom, like, very vividly. That sounded kind of perverted the way I said it. <laughs> I remember Lucas's bedroom. <laughs> but I'm just gonna leave that in. <laughs> but let's talk about the other Scott brother, Nathan. He's dealing with a lot of pressure from Dan on this episode. I mean, Dan is just relentless in this episode on how he treats Nathan. Yeah, definitely. And I love when Nathan says, you wonder why mom extends those business trips. Which I'm like, oh, Nathan's mom, we haven't met her yet. Who is that? Yeah. Oh my God. If I was her too, I would extend those business trips all the time too, because look at this shit. I think he's a pretty shitty father. I can't even imagine what he's like as a husband. I know. And then I feel like this pressure that Nathan's feeling throughout the episode translates into how he treats Peyton. Oh, totally. And I just gotta say, don't you hate it when you're making out with your boyfriends and then he decides to bring up his brother? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's the worst. Am I yeah. right? That that <laughs> scene and when they're in the car, he couldn't even stop thinking and laughing about Lucas. It's... <sighs> It's so dumb. It is so dumb. I don't even think Nathan's even really likable in, the, in this scene either, because, I don't know, he, he just seems like a mustache-twirling villain, where he's like, oh, somebody failed. <laughs> I am so terrible. I am evil. Yep, and then he just leaves Peyton behind. Nathan does not look good in this episode. At all. And then another um, shitty thing that happens between him and Peyton, he tries to tell her, he says, like, you know what, like, maybe I should just walk away. And then Peyton gets all excited. She says, you quit the game. Um, I'll quit cheerleading. You can, we can do this together. And then Nathan's like, <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I don't like how he teases her. He's like trying to trick her in a way. Yeah. And I took that, I mean, I took that scene one of two ways. I took it as um, he was essentially trying to confess to Peyton that he wants to quit. And then wanted to see how Peyton would take it. And then when. Peyton gave him that dose of reality where she says, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. That's a great idea. That's what he's like. No way. Yeah. So I feel feel like both can be true, honestly. It just shows how conflicted he is. He doesn't really know what he wants because Dan's just in his ear all the time. So he can't really even think about what he truly wants himself. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like if I was Nathan in that situation, I heard Peyton say, you know what? Like, let's do this together. I would take that as like, wait a minute. Peyton, why do you want to run away? Let's talk a little bit about this. Because maybe we're on the same page, but he doesn't even do that. He doesn't even take the time to address his girlfriend's trauma. Yeah, he's not likable at all in this episode. Definitely not. So, as we said, Peyton is dealing with a lot in this episode, too. I mean, aside from her conflicts with Nathan, she's also trying to 
figure herself out as an artist. And she doesn't have a lot of confidence in her artwork right now. Yes, and let's give a shout out to the woman who does Peyton's art. Her name is Helen Ward. I love Peyton's art. Yes, very talented person. So yeah, go Helen! We love you! So some of Peyton's artwork is, um, she's basically talking about, like, the life of a high school cheerleader. Don't forget to smile. Have sex with faceless jock. Brush perfect hair. And the artwork's really good, but despite all that, Peyton says that her work isn't good enough. And she tells Lucas later on that she wants to draw blind faith, or a faded summer, or a moment of clarity. And that's when Lucas starts to see the parallel with his situation. Lucas's skills as a basketball player, that's his art. And then there's Peyton with her, with her art as a drawing artist, if that makes any sense. That sounds really corny the way I said it, but you get me. You get me, right? Yeah, and Lucas, <laughs> he definitely works to motivate Peyton throughout this episode, but Peyton also provides some wisdom, I think, for Lucas, too. And just to kind of add on to that quote that Peyton said about drawing blind faith or a moment of clarity, she also said, if I can't be great at it, I don't want to ruin it. And Lucas completely agreed with her that if he can't be great at basketball, he doesn't want to ruin that either. I like how these two storylines are contrasted in this episode because there's so many similarities between what they're both grappling with. They complement each other. And then towards the end of the episode, Lucas finds Peyton's artwork in the trash. He sees her hesitate before going into Thud Magazine to submit her art. She throws it out and he gathers it and on his own he submits her work. And then at the very end of the episode, Lucas ends up showing up to the basketball game and he says to Peyton, your art matters. It's what got me here. And I think that brings the whole episode full circle. That's such a sweet moment. It is a sweet moment. Yeah. One last thing I want to add. Do you know why the magazine is called Thud? No, I don't know. So it was supposed to be Tree Hill Underground Daily. But if you pay attention to the one scene where you actually see the building for Thud, Daily is crossed off and replaced with the word weekly. Ha, <laughs> that's funny. So I kind of want to know the mythology of Thud Magazine. Why was it Daily that went down to weekly? Was there like, were there budget cuts or the point where they had to rely on um, high school artists? Are they paying these high school artists? I want to know. I have so many questions. I hope they're fairly compensating all these people. Do you wonder why they included that detail? I didn't, e- I didn't even notice it. That's just a random fact that I wanted to touch on. Thank you, Jeremy. You're so welcome. Anyhow, what's next, Caitlin? So, the big fight in English class. <laughs> yes. Which, this assignment that the teacher gives, describe this person in one word. What makes you think that's going to be a good idea? Yeah, what would, like, what do you expect the students to say? Like, you're really, as a teacher, you'd be really setting yourself up in that moment. <laughs> exactly. Like, seriously, me with my social anxiety, like, I got so triggered watching this scene. I can't get over it. At least the assignment got a little bit better as the episode went on. The teacher then changed it to, describe what you want most in your life now. So in one word, they had to do that. Which I wouldn't know, how the teacher grade this? Did they? Did, did you just get a hundred for writing the one word? <laughs> I don't know. Did you have to, like, write an essay elaborating on that one word? I have so many questions. <laughs> I-, I think the words that they, because as the teacher was flipping through, it then flashed to the different characters, and Peyton wrote truth, Nathan wrote revenge, and Lucas wrote answers. And I feel like all of those really align with what we've covered so far in this episode. Peyton is trying to figure out her truth as an artist. Nathan just wants revenge. He feels threatened by Lucas. And Lucas needs answers to the big question. Should I play basketball? Yeah. And I think also to, like, to why he chokes, too. Because he doesn't even find out until, like, much later on in the episode why he has so much anxiety. Good point. From just playing this, from playing the basketball game. And also, I want to give um, I want to give Nathan a little bit more credit, too. I think he also wants revenge because he doesn't have Lucas's life. I feel like he's a little bit... He's a little bit jealous. I feel like jealous is such a negative word, though. I feel like he's a little bit, he's a little bit upset that he doesn't have Lucas's life. Yeah. 
I think he's probably jealous of Lucas's family. Like, he's probably comparing Dan to Karen. <laughs> Obviously, Karen is... Oh, totally. So much better. It's so sad. Nathan's very shitty in this episode, but I don't know. I feel like I know too much about the series in general, too, so I want to give him a little bit of credit. I'd like to think that he's not that shitty of a person. <laughs> yeah. So all of these different themes that we've been discussing in this episode, they really culminate in the final few minutes at the basketball game. You see Karen has decided to attend the game this time. So she's confronting her fears. You also see Dan, he mistakens Lucas for Nathan and he calls out son. Could you believe that part? Oh yeah, that moment was so awkward. <laughs> so awkward. Whitey even tells Lucas, you're going to be okay. And then Lucas says, I know. And then in the final moments, we see that his jersey no longer bears the Scott name. And in the last scene, you see that the Scott label is fallen to the floor. That's such a powerful moment, because that's his way of just shedding all the burden that he has been facing this entire time. And also, I feel like Dan's reaction to it, too, he's a little bit sad. He's like, wow, like, you're just getting rid of me like that. It's very telling in Paul Johansson's facial expression during that moment. He's feeling a little bit more than what he's letting on. And I think as upsetting as it might be to Dan, I feel like it's a pretty uplifting way to end the episode, because Lucas... Is kind of, he's almost like taking charge of himself in a way. He's kind of standing up to these demons. Yeah, it's very powerful. I don't even think I noticed that the first couple times I watched this episode. It's I started watching it for the podcast. I'm like, oh, this is the episode where that happens. Because I remember seeing like the Scott name not on his jersey for a while, but I never remembered the exact moment it happened. And... It was just very exciting to see, like, this is the exact moment where it does happen. Agreed. Before we discuss our favorite moments of this episode, we'd like to discuss an aspect of the show that we haven't discussed yet. We've talked about amplifying the women on this show, which includes the cast members, as well as music supervisors and other people who are involved in creating aspects of the show. But we also would like to highlight people of color. Absolutely. And it's kind of sad that I feel like there's so few people of color to amplify on this show, both in front of and behind the camera. It, it's just not there. The show does not have any diversity. And I feel like one of the things that Caitlin and I really thought of when we were rewatching this episode is because at the beginning, Skill says that he is going to be there at the game. And that we get two basketball games in this episode. We do not see Skills there at all. And why isn't he there? Skills is the only person of color that we've seen so far that's reoccurred, as well as Fergie. Yeah. Was Fergie even in episode two? I don't even know. Yeah, maybe he was just in the pilot. Yeah, but that's saying something too. Like, we have to second guess ourselves. Is, is Fergie even there? Because who knows? I know. That just shows something right there. Like, I'm very happy that Antoine Tanner got work. But at the same time, I feel like he needs a little bit more than what he's given in early season one of one show. Yeah, I would like to see more. Yeah, maybe he gets more work as the series goes on. Who knows? We're not going to spoil that. But this is definitely a problem with the show. And I feel like um, Caitlin and I, as two white people... Well, Caitlin is white, I am biracial, and Pass is white. I feel like it is our responsibility to really highlight the accomplishments of these particular individuals. I'm trying to like look behind the scenes, too, if there's people of color who can be highlighted. But off the top of our heads, it's really people we have to find. So if you want to help us, feel free. Email us, alwaysothpod at gmail.com, and I would really like to really highlight some of these individuals. And just one thing I'd like to add on to that. Now that I'm watching this show with a 2020 perspective, it's really glaring, the lack of diversity in the, the whole series. It's a problem, and I feel like shows today are doing some really good work to bring diversity, whether it's a teen drama or adult drama or whatever show it is. The first three seasons of One Tree Hill aired on the WB, which became the CW. And the CW, I think, is doing phenomenal work with diversity on all of its shows. The president of the network is all about diversity, like, you know, not only in, fr not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. They have done much better work since then, and I just definitely want to applaud them for that. 
And I feel like One Tree Hill is just a product of that time period that this wasn't a conversation people were having in 2003, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah because at the end of the day, um, Caitlin, both you and I, we grew up with white privilege. Like, we had the privilege of seeing people who looked like us on our TV screens. And you don't question it. Yeah, it wasn't even, like, a big deal. Nowadays, now that we see a little bit more diversity on our TV screens, it's uh, something that we're a little bit more aware of. Yeah. And I look forward to this project. I do, too. So now, for the fun part... <laughs> Now that we talked about the heavy parts, yes. This is quickly becoming my favorite part of the whole podcast episode, is our favorite quote, song, and then our rating. Tell me, what was your favorite quote? My favorite quote was Lucas's ending quote from Atlas Shrugs. The quote is, Do not let your fire go out, spark by irreplaceable spark, in the hopeless swamps of the not quite, the not yet, and the not at all. Do not let the hero in your soul perish in lonely frustration for the life you deserved and have never been able to reach. The world you desire can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. Now we know why Jake shared Atlas Shrug with Lucas, because in the end, it ended up being his voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, I think the quote itself is very on the nose, but I also think in a more literal sense, it shows that Lucas learned something. The fact that he uses this quote as his voiceover is meaningful, because prior to that moment, we know that Lucas never read Atlas Shrugs, because he tells Shake that. And then at the end of the episode, he uses the quote and applies it to his life. So... That voiceover shows that, like, oh, Lucas learned something. So proud of him. I like that. And one quick note about Atlas Shrugged. Yes, please. I haven't read the book myself, but based on just some quick research, the book really highlights the importance of individualism. And Anne Ran, according to Wikipedia, she described the theme of this book as the role of man's mind and existence. And that really directly relates to Lucas because his struggle throughout this whole episode was kind of like a battle in his mind. He was trying to overcome his feelings and his thoughts about Dan and about basketball and about Nathan and all of it. He learned not to question himself in a way and that it was possible for him to succeed if he had the right mindset. Very well said. Look at you with your literary analysis. <laughs> I'm just like, I think the quote's pretty. <laughs> I like the quote a lot, too. Yeah. But what was your favorite quote for the whole episode? I loved what Lucas said to Peyton at the very end of the basketball game. Your art matters. It's what got me here. Of course. The original title of our podcast. I know. <laughs> Until we found out someone already had it. <laughs> I apologize. I feel like we're real, we're trolling that podcast host hardcore. I apologize. I'm sure you're doing really great. I, I like her title. <laughs> I like her title. Obviously, we liked it enough to the point where we wanted to use it, and it's it's our fault we didn't come up with it first. Our badness. <laughs> it's just such an iconic, and I feel like we're going to be saying iconic a lot in this show, but... It's okay. It's an iconic quote, Jeremy. I just, I absolutely love it. So good. So what was your favorite musical moments? I loved going back to the ending again. The last song, Belief, by Gavin DeGraw. That's a good one. You know, we got a lot of Gavin DeGraw in this episode. We first, we got the theme song for the first time. We got Belief at the very end. And the song brings the episode full circle. I look at the beginning of the whole song. Belief makes things real, makes things feel, feel all right. And I see Lucas in those lines. Because he had to believe in himself in order for it to become real. Yeah, definitely. That's such a good song, too. It just, like, encapsulates everything Lucas has learned up to this point as well. Agreed. What was your favorite song? Well, that song was my honorable mention. My favorite, though, was Echo by Vertical Horizon. And that's the song that plays during the scene where the English teacher reads the note cards with everyone's desires. It's just a fun song, I think. And the lyrics really resonated with me because it, it um, encapsulates what everybody is going through, just like Believe does with by Gavin DeGraw. The lyrics are, everywhere I go, there's something that I really need. Everyone I know is someone that I want to be, even though I don't really know me. And again, with Peyton, Nathan, and Lucas, 
that just describes their journeys at that point in the episodes. They don't really know who they are right now. Good connection. Thank you. I like that song moment, too. I thought there were a lot of good songs in this episode. Definitely. But overall, despite all the good music in this, what was your overall rating for the episode? I gave it a three out of five sketches. Okay. I feel like it's a decent episode, although after watching it a million times, maybe my rating's a little (laughs) lower now. (laughs) But we'll keep it at a three. Okay. It doesn't stand out to me, but I don't think it's a bad episode. Okay. Well, you were very liberal with your rating. I give it one out of five ravenshoops.com webcasts. Wow. You're harsh, Jeremy. (laughs) This has nothing to do with the fact that I've watched it a thousand times. This just has to do with the characters just aren't really likable. As I said earlier, Nathan, he's just a mustache twirling villain. You know, even though we, we do see a little bit of vulnerability, I don't feel like it comes across all the time. And honestly, like, I'm sorry, but some of the storylines in this episode are just plain boring. Yeah. It's the introduction of Sophia Bush's Brooke, and it's great, don't get me wrong, but I feel like she could be doing so much more. Much like Skills, I am just saying. Yeah, it could have been better, but I still think it's pretty decent. I feel like I'm going to reserve a one rating for a certain episode in season six. I don't know if you know what that one is. (laughs) I don't know, but I'm... You gotta tell me... Okay, tell me no yeah. spoiler discussion. That's gonna be the first thing we talk about. <laughs> Let's add that to our notes. <laughs> all right. But yeah, it's... That's all. The The episode just isn't the greatest. I, I mean, I feel like early season one of One Tree Hill is just does not... It's not a good representation of what One Tree Hill is. The show gets so, so much better as season one goes on. It doesn't take very long, I don't think, for the show to catch fire, but early episodes are very, very rough. Agreed. So if you're a first-time listener, hang in there, because trust me, the drama gets better. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. You can follow Caitlin Illinich on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. Once again, if you do not wish to have the series spoiled for you, consider this your final warning. Turn off this podcast now. So, what was the season six episode that you'll give a one out of five for? (laughs) So I don't I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's the one where it's like the dream. They're good. It's the time oh, period God. episode. Yeah. It's like a dream sequence. The one written by Chad Michael Murray. I'm sorry, Chad. That was by far really, yeah. the worst episode of One Tree Hill. <laughs> I hate time period stuff and dream sequences. I hate it. Also, the episode is sort of thrown in there, too. I think it was because season six is the longest season. There was 24 episodes instead of the usual 22. And I think they just wanted ways to like, fill it up. Yeah, I think. That was such a filler. The cast <laughs> might have had fun doing that. I could see it would be fun for actors, but viewers, nah, no one likes that stuff. Or at least I don't. <laughs> it's fun for what it is. I, I do like it, but... I'm just like, uh, Chad, I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. I know he wrote that episode, but... He did? It's just oh, not good. God. You didn't know that? I don't know if I knew that. Oh, yeah, that was like a big deal, like, um, back when the show was being promoted. It was, like, written by Chad Michael Murray. Go, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Chad. I love you. <laughs> just not that episode. <laughs> I kind of want to read his other work now, though. He, yeah. Um, he has a book out, too. He has, you know? too. Oh, two? Mm-hmm. I never read them, but they've been on my to-read list forever. I'm kind of curious. I'm like, maybe he's a better book writer than he is an episode writer. Oh, maybe we could do a book club as a bonus. Ooh, let's do that. Um, so yeah, that was rough, but let's talk about the things that weren't rough, <laughs> as far as this episode is concerned. Brooke Davis, okay, that's a lie. Brooke Davis was kind of rough in this episode, but she will not be rough as the series moves forward, because Brooke Davis is amazing. Like I said earlier in the regular episode. Season one Brooke is not who Brooke really 
ends up being. I feel like you start to see who she really is in season two. I start to really like Brooke in season two. Same. I mean, I like her in season one towards the end, but I really start to like her in season two. Yeah, season two is when I really started to love her and started to establish her as my favorite character. But rewatching season one, I look at her a little bit differently because I feel like we're supposed to think that Brooke is the stereotypical mean girl. And I feel like back in 2003, that trope worked as establishing her as the mean girl, but it doesn't work anymore now. At the end of the day, Brooke is just somebody who enjoys sex. She enjoys boys. She enjoys partying. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I feel like through a 2020 perspective, her evolution could be seen as a little bit problematic. Because, I mean, she grows so much at the same time, but, but in a way, she also gets rid of who she is in a way. If that makes sense. I can see what you mean. But I feel like she just kind of grows into herself. Yeah, totally. And I think, like, Sophia Bush's performance in general, too, I think is just top-notch as the show goes on. But, I don't know, I I take a little bit of issue with it, like, rewatching season one specifically. So we'll see if my feelings still hold true. I feel like I'm going to still love Brooke's evolution regardless. I don't think anything will ever be able to take that away from me. But I do notice these things now where I'm like, hmm, are they trying to say that, like, oh, she used to be a slut and now she grew and she's not a slut anymore. Now she's a good person. You have a valid point. That's what I say, but we'll see as the series goes on. One thing I found interesting about this episode is that Colin Fickus, who plays Jimmy, this is his last episode until senior year for the school shooting episode. Yeah. Well, he appears in the episode before yeah. that when the time capsule's unleashed. But the whole, yeah. that whole storyline itself. And they're pairing Mouth with Jimmy. Like at the beginning of this episode, they have the whole ravenshoops.com webpage mm-hmm. where they have their webcast. And they're pairing these two together as like a duo. Then it's suddenly it's just Mouth. So when you're paying attention to it, it is, it's interesting that he just suddenly disappears. But you almost don't even remember him at all, because he was only in the first two episodes. Yeah, like, I remember the, um, when the time capsule got unleashed in season three, I remember getting to that episode, and they showed him on the previously on, and I'm like, oh, he was on the show before? I don't remember him That's at all. That's crazy that they showed <laughs> that in a preview. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the preview, it was the previously mm. on. So it's like, you know, the previously on One Tree Hill, and they show a clip of him saying that, where he's like, we're sports announcers, and that's it. That's all <laughs> we say. So I'm like, okay, he's a character we're supposed to know, but we definitely don't. It ends up being effective, because he becomes this outcast, we never see him, so that's how he's presented as this outcast. Yeah, he's an outcast for the viewers. Yeah, that leads into the, the season three storyline pretty perfectly. Yeah, so, no, it works, and I feel like that's that storyline is absolutely wonderful. What that story goes into is so great, and I'm looking forward to talking about this sometime in 2021, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> Actually, no, it'll probably be later than that, like 2022, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever our schedule is for the show. <laughs> so, we know that Jimmy disappears for a little while. Um, another thing that slowly disappears, not after this episode, but slowly but surely as the series continues, Peyton's artwork. It becomes less of a focus, which is kind of weird to me because I feel like they set her up to be, she's going to be this big artist. And she doesn't even become that. She ends up owning a record label. Yeah, music becomes her passion more so than the art. Which, I mean, it's fine, but... She had those two passions. Like, I feel like that could have been a storyline in season six, at least. Yeah. The big thing that she does for music, arguably, is in season three, when she and a bunch of other musicians release the album, um, Friends with Benefit. Yeah. And Peyton doesn't even do the cover art for that. It's Ellie. True. So, again, why are they setting her up to be this big artist when she... She doesn't even go there. I think Lucas is like that, too, actually. Like, Lucas doesn't even care about basketball once we get to season four. He does. Basketball? You think think so? They win the state championship. But during the whole point-shaven storyline in season four, he tries to take the fall for it because he says, like, I'm not even going to play college ball. Like, he doesn't even seem to care. Yeah, that's true. But he ends up being a coach, so I wouldn't say that he doesn't like it. I disagree with you, Jeremy. Okay, you can disagree <laughs> with me. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that, though, because, I mean, 
I feel like at the end of the day, Lucas's um, work as a writer becomes more prevalent than his work as a basketball player. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, basketball definitely takes a back seat to him, so... Okay, I agree with that, then. Which, I mean, that happens when you grow up, too, though. When you grow up, your interests start to change. So, I, it's it's appropriate, don't get me wrong. So, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that yet. We'll see as the series evolves, because, I mean, obviously, last time I watched this, I was like oh, he was playing basketball. Now he's a writer and you just sort of accept it. Now I'm like looking at the bigger picture now. So I'm looking forward to discussing that a little bit more. There's a lot of things in this episode that end up disappearing in the end. Jake's another one. (laughs) (laughs) Jake sticks around for a little bit, Caitlin. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He's in and out for a few seasons there. The first three. And I love him. And then you never see him again. His character is kind of boring in this episode. I feel like they tried to make him into, like, the best friend for Lucas, but I don't think him and Chad Michael Murray had good chemistry. Yeah, because that kind of fades out completely. I'm just not excited to see them on screen together. Yeah. They end up finding out that Peyton and Jake have this chemistry, and I think that's probably what led to their storyline in season two. Yes. And they are so beautiful together. And that is part of the reason why I can't ship Lucas and Peyton. I am sorry, Caitlin. Get out of here. Are you serious? I like Jayton, okay? Is that their ship name? It is now. Jayton. Yeah, I guess it would be. Other than Peyton? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds weird. So I... <laughs> Peyton. I love those two together, though. I don't hate them together. I like them together. I just think they deserve better, okay? Overall, I like Jake's character. He's not my first choice for Peyton, but I like his storyline with Jenny. It's a really sweet storyline. We're talking about Jake's evolution right now, and we completely forgot about the fact he's a teen dad. (laughs) It's an unexpected storyline, though, to have the father being the teen dad. Usually it's, it's the woman. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, there's a lot that we can say about that. We can say that. Mark Schwann wanted to put men in a good light because he's a good man, too. (laughs) I don't know. We can unpack that later as we get into that storyline. But yeah, but that is a good story and I am excited for it. But I am even more excited for next week's episode. Next time we will be discussing season one, episode three. Are you true? According to the episode description in our old One Tree Hill DVD sets, this episode is when... Lucas is on his game. He takes Nathan's spot in the lineup, so Nathan organizes the other players into a hazing team. Plus, Haley has a new tutoring student, Nathan, who's in danger of being booted off the Ravens if his grades don't improve. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya.